You know, when I go over and watch football on television with a bunch of friends, about the only thing I get out of that is I gain about 10 pounds from all the wings and the chips and that sort of thing. Our guest this week had an epiphany watching football with friends, an epiphany that turned out to be a program that's changing minds in a very positive way on this week's This Alabama Life. Hi, and welcome into this week's episode. If you've just found our podcast, This Alabama Life attempts to tell stories of Alabamians who are doing remarkable, interesting, we hope entertaining things in a positive way. If you're tired of pandemics and uh, that sort of thing, we're going to try to bring you some alternatives here. Uh, My co-host, Andrea Tice, is with us. How are you? It's good to be here. I was about to say coronavirus who? (laughs) Yes. As far as I'm concerned, that's dead and gone. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. My name is Don Keith, and I'm your host this week. And our guest is an interesting fellow. When I first saw your name, Kay Carl, you told us how to pronounce it. I thought my computer uh, printer had uh, messed up. I had two capital letters at the first of your name. That's right. Kay Carl Smith. Very interesting individual. Uh, First of all, I got to ask you about the name. My first name is Keith. Well, that's my last name. That's right. And uh, <laughs> okay. my daughter, several years ago, said, Dad, Keith is just a bland name. There's nothing exciting about that. I agree that. with you totally. Go ahead and drop the last four letters of your first name. And let's take, take, take that first initial K and put it with your middle name, which is Carl with a C. So publicly, I go by K. Carl is one word, capital K, capital C, A-R-L. And where'd you grow up? I, well, I'm a native of Pine Bluff, Arkansas. So in 1963, when my father received his master's degree in mathematics. We moved from Arkansas to Alabama in 1964. My father was the first black aerospace engineer hired at the uh, Josie Marshall Space Flight Center, and he worked with the German scientist, one of them, Braun. So I grew up in Huntsville and uh, went into the military after that and uh, served 16 years of active duty as an officer. And uh, after I completed my service obligation, I came back to Alabama. And I, I, I say this, and a lot of people say it and don't really mean it, but I absolutely mean it. Thank you for your service. No, no problem. Appreciate it. It was an honor. And after all of that traveling in the military, what brought you back to Alabama? Family. You know, I have, uh, I have three children. And my two older children live in, in Huntsville. My son is an electrical engineer, and my daughter is also working in the in insurance industry. And uh, my parents were here at that time, living in Huntsville. So I came back to Alabama to live, of course. And uh, I was actually in Atlanta living uh, as a motivational speaker. And then uh, my brother started a church here in uh, Birmingham, Walking Water Christian Church. So my mother twisted my arm, said, you got to go help your brother out, because at that time he had a, a mega church, uh, so 3,000-plus members. So I dropped what I was doing in Atlanta, came here, helped him with his ministry in terms of help building the infrastructure, uh, database and all that. And then I just stayed here. Stayed got in, into your blood. Got into my blood, and I uh, live out in the Trustville area. So, okay, it was always the intent. The intent was always to come back to Alabama, though. So that was not a problem. Right. All right. And you spent a lot of that time, like you said, with your your father working in Huntsville, growing up in Alabama. Kind of paint a picture of how you grew up and and your the family dynamics and yeah. what you experienced and things that were, you know, shaping of your character. Well, it, interesting. I grew up in a very staunch Christian home. Uh, I have three siblings. 
all of us are five years apart. So my father was indeed a mathematician <laughs> because he didn't want two boys in college at the same time. So he purposely made sure we're five years apart. How about and, that? Uh, with a slide rule or with a computer? Yeah, I think at the time it was a slide rule. Uh, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not just a mathematician, a financial planner. That's right. That's right. So I have um, uh, my oldest brother's retired colonel, a uh, lieutenant colonel in the United States Army. I'm the second in the picking. I'm a retired uh, major from the United States Army. But what I mentioned before, I served 16 years on active duty. My brother is five years. My junior is a pastor of 30 plus years. And my youngest brother, 10 years my junior, graduated from Butler High School with a D minus. He is now a PhD physicist. <laughs> so it's not, it. it's not how you start the race that matters, right? It's how you finish the race. So I come from good stock. Uh, my my parents, uh, unfortunately, I lost both my parents last year to COVID complications, quote unquote. I personally believe they died of uh, Redisavir, the medical protocol they use in the hospital that supposedly to treat COVID, but it didn't, it didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. I come from good stock when I say that my parents had been married for almost, it was like 70, 70 years. Oh, my. And uh, That's quite a legacy. Yeah, even though I have not perfected that, but it's not because I didn't try, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, so... Very staunch Christian home, and uh, that's one thing that my parents willed to us was the faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. And so um, I'm fortunate for that, having that. I grew up in, uh, I guess, what you call black privilege. <laughs> um, my father being an engineer at NASA, he was a, he retired as a senior exec. So there's some things uh, I experienced in life that most folks of my ethnicity don't get a chance to experience, but we, uh, we're, we're blessed to have that, both parents I come from a two-parent uh, home structure. Very important. Well, you know, I think that, that that's a thread that runs through our state, the South especially, uh, where it, it, not necessarily just black families, but yeah. uh, poor white families. Sure. And a lot of us experience this where your parents didn't really encourage the kids to go to college. You were encouraged to go get a job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, do the best you can do and you'll get your reward in the next life, that kind of thing. Right, right. You were blessed with a totally different outlook on life. Nobody discouraged you from going to college, obviously. No, not at all. Matter of fact, my father encouraged us to become problem solvers. Being a mathematician, that was his mindset. So my oldest brother, uh, he he didn't go into the science uh, field. My young, uh, my one that's under me, he's an electrical engineer and my brother's a physicist. I'm, we're all strong in science and math. I guess I was the rebellious one and did not go, go that way. But in regardless of that, he always insisted that we become problem solvers and critical thinkers. And he taught us how to apply the scientific method to our life, basically what it was. Whatever it is, apply the scientific method to your life. And so having that uh, that type of influence in my life, my father was a special cat. I mean, he was just a special cat. He, he was a Christian man. He was uh, community involved. He was a uh, he was a mathematician. He was a thinker. He was an innovator. He was a STEM uh, trailblazer, as a matter of fact. Being the first black aerospace engineer hired at NASA in 1964, he created a STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math pipeline for uh, historical black colleges, engineer students, to get employed at NASA. He recruited heavily from uh, Tuskegee, uh, Tennessee State, even from um, where I grew, school I attended, Alabama A&M, he recruited those students. So he created this pipeline 
uh, for his giving back to the community and giving those who didn't have any opportunities per se to have an opportunity to take their gifts and talents when it comes to STEM technology and contribute to the space program of our country. So it sounds to me like your father really set up an incredible foundation, both in faith and in logic. Most definitely. And also entrepreneurship. And also when it comes to voting your values, mm-hmm. um, uh, he insisted, you know, you vote in a way that shows your love and your allegiance to the God you serve, not based on a political label. So that all impacted the, the way my brothers and I were, uh, felt about politics and about voting your values in terms of you vote your values first. Don't worry about a label. Now, you wrote a very interesting uh, editorial for 1819 News, our parent website. And I'm, I'm reading the the article and I'm going, yes, yes, as I read through. And you talk about going to a, uh, a friend's house or getting together with <laughs> yeah. friends and yeah. about 20 guys watching football. And uh, during that, you were discussing more than just whether the referees were for the other team or whatever. You, you kind of got into a discussion and you came to a, a realization. What was that? <laughs> what about a realization? I came to the point where I got sick and talk, sick and tired of being called a sellout and uncle Tom based on my political views. When I, that night when I shared with my quote unquote friends that I was a conservative, the attacks began. I mean, one after another, they called me everything but a child of God Uncle Tom, foot shuffler, the house N-word. Your parents must be disappointed in you. How could you do such a thing? All because I told them I was a conservative. And what what kind of conservative did they think you were? Well, in their mind, uh, when you say conservative, you just grew seven heads, <laughs> and they think you're you know you're a right Q clucks. Oh right? yeah, yeah. You, you you just got through attending a KKK rally, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Um, that was uh, that's something that really bothered me. And being a problem solver, what's the old saying that necessity is the mother of invention? Right. Because of necessity of it, being sick and tired of being called uh, something I know that I'm not, um, God pricked my spirit and uh, over a period of research for several years, about a year, I invented some. I invented a persuasive messaging technique called the Frederick Douglass Republican Engagement Strategy. That has nothing to do with the Republican Party, by the way, but the fact that we live in a constitutional republic. And so that engagement strategy, when I perfected it, uh, a year later, I invited those same black Democrat friends of mine to my home. And of course, that night, the subject of politics surfaced. And when they asked me about my political identity, they said, okay, Carl, he's a, he's a, he's a conservative. I said, wait a minute, I'm more than a conservative. I'm a Frederick Douglass Republican. And I believe the life and power and values of Frederick Douglass. Now let's back up a little bit. Uh, you, uh, not the traditional black family necessarily, because of your father and his uh, uh, work with NASA and that sort of thing. But I would assume they were Democrats, right? Well, yeah, uh, like most black families. Well, yeah, staunch Democrats. My parents were staunch Republicans until 1964. They were staunch Republicans hmm. until 1964. So what, what I changed gro- that. What? what? <laughs> Do we have an hour? <laughs> <laughs> we have as long as you want to go. Um, what changed that was the Goldwater years. Okay. When you go back and and I, you know, when when my friends attacked me that night, I, I was curious because I wanted to know. I knew that the left had demonized that word conservative, but I was curious to know was there anything in history that developed that that has this word, this word conservative has this racist connotation. Uh, 
So I've done some research, and I don't have a PhD, but I've done some PhD-level research I want to share with you. So July 2nd, 1964, that's when President Johnson signed the civil rights legislation into law. And if you remember now, your staunch Democrat senators, the segregationists, the Dixiecrats, they filibustered the bill and voted against the base on racist reasons. Mm -hmm. They were racist. But there was a certain Republican senator by the name of Barry Goldwater. He voted against it not because he was a racist. He voted against it based on constitutional grounds. Mm -hmm. Robert Bork was a university professor at Yale, and Bork wrote a 75-page opinion that Goldwater used to form his decision. So Goldwater was not a racist. He was an integrationist, but with his no vote, he sided with the racist. Because Goldwater, in 1953, he's the one that integrated the Senate cafeteria in our nation's capital when one of his black staffers was refused service. 1948, Goldwater founded the Arizona Air National Guard as an integrated unit. So Senator Barry Goldwater was not a racist. He was an integrationist. So here's two major dots I'm going to connect for you. You got to follow me. Do you recall Senator Goldwater's nickname? Ooh, I was uh, not uh, <laughs> You're the same cognizant age I was. <laughs> of politics at that <laughs> I, time. I was very aware of Senator Goldwater. He was a ham radio operator. That's right. That's right. And I was too. And I actually, I never spoke to him, but I had heard him on the air because okay. he would run phone patches for overseas servicemen right. through his ham radio. No kidding. Don Keith, you have a connection to Barry <laughs> Absolutely. Goldwater. That's right. <laughs> but I don't know his nickname. Well, his nickname was Mr. Conservative. Oh, Okay. So in 1960, he wrote a book that sold over 3 million copies entitled The Conscious of a Conservative. So at the 1964 Republican Party National Convention that was held at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, the Republican Party now, the party of Lincoln, the party of emancipation, who do they nominate as their presidential candidate to run against LBJ in 1964? Mr. Conservative. When that happened, black folks left the Republican Party in mass. I asked my dad, I said, what? I said, what was going on? He said, son, the Republican Party didn't, didn't want us. But the Democrat Party was worse. So what happened in 64, the Republican Party, based on that convention, made the Democrat Party look like heroes to black folks. Ah. And black folks left the Republican Party. And nobody looked at Lyndon Baines Johnson's right. history That's, in Texas. They, they, they looked past that because why? He signed the civil rights legislation mm -hmm. and Gore was against it. So the, here's the irony of this whole thing. The, the Democrat Party gave us Jim Crow laws, gave us segregation, supported slavery in the South. Right, right, right. Um, All of that. But they're calling conservatives racist. Well, the problem is they have control of the narrative, and I contend we got to get it back. Mm -hmm. And the only way we're going to get it back that we can get into later, you got to learn how to leverage the liberty message of the greatest liberty messenger in our country, Frederick Douglass. And at what age did you say, wait a minute, I'm not a Democrat after all? It's when, you know, um, I became. I started accepting the conservative language and tongue, I guess, right now, about 20 years ago. At least about uh, the time you were at that football game and heard what yeah, everybody else yeah, was saying. Yeah, about, about 20 years ago. Yeah. And now, so, 
a little bit before then. I mean, I think it's about 19 when I retired from the military. Well, there were retirements not in the Bible. I completed, I completed my service obligation. So over 20 years, so it was about 19, about, about year 2000, about year 2000. Yeah, I got out in 1996, about year 2000, I became a conservative. I want to just hop back for a second, yeah. and then we'll come sure. back to the Frederick Douglass Initiative and everything that you started. But I saw you on a YouTube video, and you were talking primarily, you were talking about two things that influenced you. And the first one was faith. You were talking about a passage in Corinthians from mm-hmm. Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about your faith and, and, and how that first developed in, in, in your life and and oh yes, yeah. Really changed your perspective on things, and then we'll launch into yeah. What the changed other. my pers- my perspective on things when I had my awakening? I was up one night reading Second Corinthians thirteen and five, which I read so many times. But this particular night, it just grabbed me. If you read Second Corinthians thirteen and five in the Message translation, it it goes this way: It says, "Examine yourself. Make sure you're solid in the faith. Test yourself." You need firsthand evidence that Jesus Christ is in you. If you fail the test, do something about it. Well, so I started testing the way I was voting. I don't believe in abortion, but I was voting that way. And so I don't believe in same-sex marriage, but I was voting that way. So when that when that occurred that night, I said, wait a minute. Why am I doing this? Why on Sundays I raised my hand, holy, you know, holy hands on Sunday, but on Tuesday when I go to the voting booth, I'm voting the opposite of my worship. But mm. Because you're supposed to. <laughs> well, God diagnosed me and told me I was a political schizophrenic. Uh, there you you're go. You're crazy. Yeah. And so therefore, since you can't uh, vote your values and vote your faith, I'm going to block your blessings. Well, you're blocking your own blessings because I can't trust you to give you those blessings. So that was my political awakening. And that was a scripture that really uh, turned my thinking right side up. And then along with the, the writings of Frederick Douglass. So I say that the teaching of Jesus Christ uh, impacted my life and changed my life. But the liberty message Frederick Douglass gave him my political awakening. I uh, have to admit, when I first saw FDR engagement strategy as part of your uh, website, <laughs> yeah, right. I said, FDR, wait a minute. He was the ultimate Democrat <laughs> who probably yeah. did more for encroachment of federal bureaucracy than Most anybody definitely. in history. Most definitely. A different FD here, yeah, yeah. obviously. Matter of fact, we have a T-shirt that we produce. It has three big bold, bold letters on it. FDR is not who you think, Frederick Douglass Republican. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. I, good marketing, by the way. It came up by accident, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm a, a minor in history from a major state university very within 60 miles of where we're sitting right now. Okay. And I, I thought I knew a lot about Frederick Douglass. I didn't really. I knew he was a runaway slave. Yeah, who, yeah. Uh, was, and that's the knowledge of most people uh, because he's not heavily taught in terms of the substance of this he was man. He an emancipator, I guess. Yeah. And he led runaway slaves. And, exactly right. And people don't realize that he was an advisor to five I, presidents. I know. It's amazing. Let me just jump in and tell yeah. you this. When we first moved to Birmingham in 2013, that's how long I've been a a, a an Alabamian. We've stamped her passport. Yeah, though. yeah. Um, I went to Books a Million, and I bought Frederick Douglass' autobiography. One of the three. One of the three. Right. It was a small exactly. one. It blew me away. I was reading through, and I was reading as he's describing what the, the technique for keeping them in slavery and oppression, like 
denying them access to the family unit, uh, denying them education and the ability to read. It's a dangerous key to success, and they don't want that. And I was, and as I was reading that, I was like, oh my goodness, if if Democrats, if the black community would read this and realize that's being done to them now. Right, right, right. It, the, it, it would. The techniques of oppression used by the slave master are identical to the techniques of oppression used by the slave government. Identical. There's nothing new under the sun. Sure. Well, there were hundreds of years of developing exactly that technique, right. and they exactly had to right. get to cotton picks, so they did what they and, had to do. And Doug is so eloquently, because he didn't have a ghostwriter. He wrote these books himself. He was brilliant. So, oh, man, he was just, um, he, he applied himself. And and by applying himself, that brilliance developed and uh, was nurtured and came out. And so advisor to five presidents had $300,000 in savings at the time of his death. Yeah. In, in today's that's money, that's over $10 million. He died a one percenter. That's not bad for a guy who was a slave for 20 years, not receiving any kind of salary. So when you really think about Douglas and you leverage Douglas, what I love about the story about Frederick Douglas, no matter which victim category that the left try to put people in, no American today can out-victimize Frederick Douglass. Your mm. excuses go away. That's he right. wrote. He actually wrote four books. I could at least write one. He taught himself to play the violin. I'm trying to learn how to play the electric guitar. He spoke four different languages. I'm having a hard time with Ebonics, so <laughs> I, I stopped right there. Well, well on your uh, Douglas, Frederick Douglass Initiative website, you mentioned some core tenets mm. based off of what Frederick Douglass puts out and you know personal responsibility economic uh prosperity free speech school choice women's rights the right to keep and bear arms immigration we we call these the life empowering values of frederick douglas in lieu of saying conservative values because soon you say these are conservative values you have a confrontation not a conversation so instead of saying conservative values, what we teach is these are life-empowering values, and that will empower you to have a dialogue with people that you can find common ground. And then that's when race comes off the table. And to me, that's the thing that struck when I, I started looking at your background and what, what you talk about. It's positive. There's nothing negative here. It's all positive. It's all based on the liberty message of Frederick Douglass and the diversity outreach strategy of the Apostle Paul. Mm -hmm. It's not taking something away from somebody else. Oh, it's exactly like reaching wrong. out and grabbing what's yours. That's exactly right. And it proves itself to be true because you have the whole example of Frederick Douglass himself. He's the shining example of how far he God took him by employing what the, he believed in. Marxist liberals have no answer for Frederick Douglass, and they never will. So as conservatives, it'll behoove us to leverage his liberty message. Because what the left do, they have in their corner Karl Marx. Who we have in our corner? Nobody. No, we got to put, put Frederick Douglass on our team and give him the ball and get out of the way. Mm -hmm. Because uh, the, the, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you measure or put a, uh, put a contrast between Douglass and Karl Marx, it's mind-blowing because both of these men were born in 1818. Okay, so Doug's had this newsletter called the North Star. Well, guess who was a subscriber to Doug's newsletter from Germany? Karl Marx. Karl Marx was a theorist about oppression. Doug's had real life experiences about oppression. That's right. why. That's why we gotta have. That's why we gotta leverage Doug's liberty message. And they both had the same hairstyle going. As <laughs> exactly <I recall. laughs> right. And so it is it, just 
it'd be foolish of us to ignore the liberty message of Frederick Douglass if we're planning on having hopes of stopping and crushing this Marxist agenda being pushed in our country. That that brings up that tough question is why do you think more people, white people and black people, are not aware of Frederick Douglass and what he stood for? I, I think everybody knows he was an abolitionist. He wanted to do away with slavery. And that's about as far as most people go. There's, there's a couple of answers that comes to my mind immediately. Number one, people don't see him as a philosopher. Um, I contend that Doug is not only is America's greatest thinker, writer, and speaker when it comes to liberty and the Constitution, but he is also the forgotten prophet. Mm-hmm. He's much as a philosopher as as, uh, as, as, as Karl Marx or Socrates, and he just is as a powerful uh, uh, user uh, instrument of God as the apostle Paul. Mm -hmm. So we tend to overlook that. Another thing is that Douglas's views and his thoughts is the total opposite of those who are running Hollywood, for example, totally opposite of socialism and these Marxist agenda. So they're not going to leverage him. They'll cherry pick him, but they're not going to teach the the substance of him, which is Liberty, which is pro constitution. Why do you think that is? Because they want to destroy America. I mean, that don't celebrate Frederick Douglass because it's the suppression of facts, like you said, cherry picking, so that people think they think they know enough, and it's enough to make it dangerous because they don't really know. And it's as simple as this: if you don't know the truth, you can never recognize a lie. So when I lie to you, I can oppress you and make you my slave because you'll never know the truth. That's what they're doing. Yeah, that's why the Bible said the truth will set you free. free. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I just love I just love having you here and talking about this. I really do. Mainly because we agree with everything yeah, you're saying. That's right. <laughs> Make it easy on me. But yeah, but you're asking for some very powerful and some uh, good questions because the uh, when I when you invited me to come and uh, what God put in my heart was is to empower those who are listening with the confidence, the knowledge, and the skill to get out here and start at the local level engage people. Not have confrontation, but conversations. And you have to start with your own family members. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got people now, you got children now going to college. They're coming back now as little socialists. No. And, it, and they come around your house around Thanksgiving time and calling the mother, the parents, the grandparents racist because they've been taught that the word conservative means racism. So you got to learn to Frederick Douglass to bring some political healing to your own families. Well, that's the thing. I, it, whether they're doing it because they want to destroy America or whether they're doing it because they think it's the right thing and whether they think this is the way to really make uh, people of color get everything they deserve and have worked so hard for, whatever the reasoning is, that the left has done a wonderful job of marketing what they're saying. Even the names of bills. I remember it's yeah, been yeah. 50 years since we had the war on poverty with LBJ. 50 years, billions of dollars. How many people are they taking out of poverty? Right. And how many black families have they destroyed in terms of creating single parent families called the, the great society? No, it's the worst society. <laughs> You're exactly right. It's a spiritual poverty. It's, a spiritual it's been poverty. traded yeah. out for spiritual poverty yeah. that, and, and we all know if we've come from Christian homes, you know, and been raised that that's the more powerful basis on which to start your life. It's really sad because, the, the techniques they used back then, they're still using them sure. today. It, it, because it works. It, and it works. I was, several months ago, I was reading an article, you may have read about it, where some 
think tank liberal organization said that it is racist to teach black children math. Remember see that? I do mm-hmm. remember that. And, and it hit, I said, you gotta be kidding me. No, it's racist not to teach them math. Cause here's why. If you don't teach them math, but yet you're going to bring people from India who are good at math for the jobs. So therefore, if you don't teach black kids math, you're going to teach them two plus two is 22. They can't, they can't compete for these jobs. That's racist. And so, but if you don't know the truth, you can't recognize a lie. If I keep telling y'all they, that conservatives, the truth are, are liars. And that therefore that when a conservative speaks, um, you can't trust what they're saying. I don't care if it's how fact uh, factual is, how much evidence they have or statistics. You can't believe them. That's why I continue. We got to stop using the word. If you read one of my other articles to stop using the word, it doesn't work. When we're going to wake up and stop doing things, we know it's not going to work. And then we're going to save our nation. It's not going to happen. I'm just quoting what Rush Limbaugh had to say, who, who agrees with, with me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, speaking of math and, and just the fact that, the scientific method leads to, you know, observable facts. Um, math leads to observable facts and all of that. Let's talk about the initiatives that you've started uh, when it comes to underage uh, neighborhoods and communities and the children that you're trying to get involved in STEM. It's actually an initiative that my youngest brother started, and my brothers and I um, have joined him, helped him in this endeavor. So my youngest brother, the one that graduated from high school with a D- minus and now is a PhD f- physicist, He's a former NASA scientist, uh, spent 15 years at NASA, the Jersey Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, following my father's footsteps. He stepped away from NASA and got involved in providing rigorous STEM education to uh, children of disadvantaged backgrounds. What happened was um, he graduated from, well, we all graduated from Butler High School. But when he went back to Butler High School one day and found out that they took STEM, this about 2015, they took, excuse me, they took physics out of the curriculum at Butler High School in Huntsville. Wait a minute, wait a minute, you're not following me. Of all places, Huntsville. In, in Huntsville, yeah, right. two miles away from Redstone Arsenal, uh, where uh, Redstone Arsenal, NASA, the STEM capital of the South, they took physics out of the high school curriculum at Butler High School. When he found that out, he went livid because the gateway to science is physics. Yeah. But so what are you going to do? That's not that doesn't solve the problem. So what he did was he advocated, and when they they shut Butler down and they shut Johnson High School down, both of them didn't have physics, and they started uh, J, uh, May Jemison High School, which now has has physics. But make my story faster here. What he did was he went to the northwest section of Huntsville, and he started robotics clubs at every grade level leading up to Jemison High School. All these schools, the elementary schools, the middle schools, and the high school, all of them are, are on Alabama's failing school list. All of them are Title I schools. None of them had any type of robotics program. In the southeast side of Huntsville, where Grissom is, or in Madison, they had, they had rigorous STEM. But in the disadvantaged, uh, predominantly black community, none existed. So he started it. So, um, but what he did, very unique, he brought in STEM professors from Alabama A&M, UAH, professionals from uh, the defense contractors around the city, Boeing, IBM. He brought them in, and those were the teachers and mentors of the children, okay? 
and also uh, STEM students, um, speeding up even faster. So in 2019, there is a competition they had in Huntsville. It's called the first robotic STEM competition. It's a regional competition. You had high schools, uh, private high schools, public high schools from across the state, uh, uh, from uh, Birmingham, Alabama, down from Mobile, down from Auburn, from Mississippi. They all participated in this regional competition. His high school team, well, let me back up a little bit, one more step here. So what he did was when he went around to the school, to the grades, to the classrooms to recruit for his team, he purposely recruited students, number one, that had failing grades. He said, I don't want the talented. Give me the child that's getting straight Fs. Then he said, give me the child that's in special needs. You all describe them as having Asperger. You treat them like they're retarded. Give me that child because they're not retarded. Wow. He said, bring me that child. Then he said, give me the child that has one or both parents incarcerated. That was the makeup of his team. And he brought in these STEM professionals to teach them. In 2019, his team finished number one in the city of Huntsville. They defeated these children in, at Jimison High School, the robotics club, defeated schools, magnet schools that have a STEM focus that they can't even get in. They finished one in the city of Huntsville. And they finished one in Madison County. And they finished two in the state of Alabama. Okay, hey, Carl. You never this, heard about it. This all sounds just impossible. We all know the only way, first of all, black kids are never going to be interested in science or math. Just, that's just the fact. And the only way to solve this problem is to throw a lot of money out there and hire a bunch of administrators to uh, oversee things. That's how you get this thing turned around. That's why it doesn't work. That's why Alabama today is last mm -hmm. in education. Matter of fact, we're, we're behind Mississippi. I know. I remember growing I, up, we could always point to Mississippi. Not anymore. Matter of fact, we're behind Puerto Rico. Second. I think we're below Puerto Rico. We're below in Puerto some Rico place. and Washington, D.C., based on the philosophy, let's put more money into it. The problem is not money, because the education system in the United States and in Alabama is the best finest in the world. But that's not the problem. Having worked with my brother for the past eight years with our after school program and, and seeing what's happening. The problem is not money because your title one schools are some of the best finest schools. The, there's not enough care. That's 95%. That's 95% of the problem is, is care. All right. Let's drill down to those kids. Yes. The ones that had F's incarcerated parents and, uh, uh, special needs, or they were classified. And probably no, pro sometimes no parents or a grandmother raised sleeping in the van. Yep, we had a situation. One a young man, and we didn't know it. He was sleeping in the van with his mother and his sister. Oh wow! And I remember one time my brother mentioned to me that the uh, boy came in one day wearing his sister's clothes. You know why? Because his clothes were dirty. Mm -hmm. The only thing uh, they had was sister's clothes. Oh to wear. my goodness! Wow, that's real. But yeah. these these children that we focus on have been written off. Written off by the public school system, written off by society. Yeah. Because I found out that in order to project what the future incarceration would be, they look at third grade achievement scores. Mm. By looking at third grade achievement scores, they can tell you what the future outlook is for prison incarceration. So if a child doesn't grasp reading and science right. by third grade, he'll never get it. And so that's why with our philosophy, we start in pre-K. We start with two-year-olds teaching them STEM. Mm. 
Okay. Yep. And don't it you find difference. in a lot of cases, unlike in your home, there's no role model. But, or the role model is either a rapper or an athlete. Yes. That's, that's the only that's way right. you can get out of that situation. That's right. That's right. And that's why we purposely brought in STEM professors, professionals, and, and assigned them to a child that looks like them so they can see themselves in that way. So you're exactly right. And one of the things that we had to do, we had to sit down and talk to the parents about how to talk to your child when it comes to math and science because a lot of parents have this mental block about math mm-hmm. and they'll tell their child, well, baby, I wasn't good in it either. Well, no, no. If we advocate, don't tell your child that. Just tell your child that you were a genius in math. You just forgot everything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but Plus, encourage them. Beyond that, because of racism is going to keep you from ever succeeding anyway, right? Yeah. So why saying. try? That's right. That's what they say. And uh, that that's that's the way, the way the way we counter all that and by studying Frederick Douglass and even just remember my think about my dad's life who grew up poor. Once you discover your purpose in life, once you discover your God given talents while you're here, what your gifts are, you take your obsession and you make it a profession or you make it a business. That's the key to success. And so a lot of these young people don't have a vision. So we have to assign them to a person that shares their vision with them until they get their own. And that's the secret to the sauce. But uh, my brother's been doing this. We've been working with him for the past, uh, since 2015. It became so successful. When that happened in 2019, you didn't hear about it. Nobody wrote about it. Um, Because what that did, it, it shattered the education paradigm in Alabama. These kids who have been written off defeated schools that they can't even get in. And a lot of money is put into a magnet schools to keep these kids out. Because to get the magnet school, you got to be interviewed. Uh, but these kids can't even get in, can't get an interview. But they won't even they won't even apply. And they won. So what what happened was not the education, not education uh, educators, community leaders across Alabama contacted my brother and asked him to expand his program across the, the state. And so with that, we sat down. We got come up with a plan. So we decided to establish one of his headquarters. The headquarters got to be in Birmingham, which is in the center of the state, which would give him better reach. Mm. So that's why one time we had, we had looked at by securing some real estate in this area, in the Birmingham area, and we're going to launch a Frederick Douglass STEM Academy. But along with the STEM Academy will be a science research and innovation center. And uh, because... Birmingham is starving for technology. Alabama, I mean, Huntsville is fine. Birmingham and the rest of the state is, is hurting. Mm-hmm. And so we need to expand that across the state as well. So that's the goal. That's the vision. And my task has been, since I've been out public speaking for the past 12 years, I travel the country now. I'm raising money for our endowment. And they gave me a a, a, a pretty serious challenge, but I, I'll achieve it. Well, that's what I was about to ask. What, what do you see the outcome here? What do you want to happen? What I want to happen the more we got to get this endowment because after I'm long and gone, that endowment is still there. And so um, the way we're going to improve our education system, I'm talking about the public school system, it's not by giving more money to the public schools. The way I find out to improve the public school system is by, uh, and matter of fact, I, I'm not a big advocate. I, I, I like the idea of charter schools, but that's still a public school. Uh, our school will be a private school that's going to bring in and be serious about educating our children. We will have a rigorous STEM, uh, STEM curriculum. We're just using STEM as the platform to ignite 
our young people's passion for, for yeah, education. That's the, that's the thing. I think people will eventually realize yeah. strong charter schools will make public schools better. Exactly right. Exactly well, right. It's, it's the ultimate capitalism sure. because you're offering another alternative, which is competition. Right? Exactly right. And that, that's the heart of it. And so, um, but we have a for by because of my faith is the reason why we went to a private school because I don't want anybody to come and tell me who I need to see and can't see into my restrooms. So that's right. Uh, right. I, I'm not going to put up with that. Or you can acknowledge God in all of the, you're teaching. Exactly. The, and that and is that's critical. the problem. It's the, it's the lack of God in our, it's in our schools and our children's lives this is the problem. So um, that's just a personal thing for my brothers and I. That's important because again, it's the faith that my parents will to us, a faith in Jesus Christ. And, um, uh, we're doing that. So we're going to, the legacy is to build this school, impact the community, uh, but not just impact the lives of those students attending our school, but to impact the community of those stu- those children who can't attend the school. But we got to get to that community as well to impact those who are not able to attend and also the parents. And so bringing uh, STEM education, not just to the children, but also to the parents so they can get better paying jobs and and uh, break this curse of generational wealth, not having generational wealth, because the best paying jobs are in STEM. So this whole idea, don't teach black kids um, math because it's racist. No, it's racist not to teach them that because, you know, that's where the high paying jobs are. Well, STEM is fine, but I hope somewhere in the curriculum at this school, you mentioned Frederick Douglass a little bit. Yeah, one of the main features of our uh, school, we have a curriculum it's called the Frederick Douglass Liberty Curriculum. And what that is all about is to inspire and train the next generation of liberty advocates to counter the Marxist trained individuals we have out here in our country. Because the the most effective way to defeat Marxism is with Frederick Douglassism. But you got to get into the life and writings of Douglass to understand that and not just have a superficial uh, understanding. You got to get into it. So we have developed this curriculum. Um, We're going to take. Uh, we, we're going to bring in the Barney curriculum out of Hillsdale and we're going to infuse it with, we're going to infuse it with heavy Frederick Douglass. That's what, that's what they're lacking. You got to have Frederick Douglass in it. If you're serious about defending Liberty, defending the constitution, you got to bring in what Frederick Douglass had to say, because Frederick Douglass had a former slave perspective. Talk about his admiration for the founders and the constitution. Nobody else has that. The founders didn't have that. So, because, you know, with their founding fathers, uh, people paid a race card on them because some of them owned slaves, not all of them, but some of them owned slaves. So they, they're they tainted. But Douglas did not own any slaves. He was a slave. That's right. Douglas was not a racist. He was a victim of racism. So in his speeches and his, and his writings, by him affirming the founders and the Constitution, you got to leverage it because that's, that's what wakes people up. That's what, that's what woke me up. Well, here's the ultimate question. When you went back and watching a football game with that same bunch of guys, you had your chips and your dip and your wings. Is had you changed any minds? All of them that night started talking about how they were a Frederick Douglass Republican too. Oh, wow. Wow. This was the second time around. Yeah, you because would, okay. they, they had the same values. But the thing, they never heard the liberty message based on the writings and the philosophy of Frederick Douglass. They never heard it. Once they heard it and you give it into a way where you're having a conversation, not a confrontation, you, you, you absorb it. So, you yeah, know, but the most impressive thing, when you can change how your parents and your brothers vote, 
who grew up in a staunch Democrat uh, background. All my, my brothers are Frederick Douglass Republicans in lieu of saying conservative. So it sounds to me like, you know, we all have these roadblocks or blinders and, uh, and you you did an end run around it in that you didn't let the label of conservatism stop them from exploring the the real core values. Right, being a problem solver. There you go. Being a problem yeah. solver. And let me say this too before I go on. To be a Frederick Douglass Republican has nothing to do with your skin color. It's not about color. It's about values. So a Frederick Douglass Republican is a person who embraced the life-empowering values of Frederick Douglass. What are some of those life-empowering values? Respect for the U.S. Constitution, respect for life, the belief in the limited power of government, mm. economic prosperity, free speech, school choice, the right to keep and bear arms, um, immigration, legal immigration, uh, women's rights. Um, Doug has wrote about all these things. So it's not about color. It's about values. And we call these values. We don't call them issues. They're values. These are the tenets of liberty, because if we lose any one of these, we're going to lose liberty. We got to maintain these tenets of liberty to maintain our republic, because issues divide, values unite, and that's why we can focus on values. I love it. Well, you know, one of the one of the things about this particular podcast is we say we don't talk about politics, and I don't think we've we talked have not a, we have not talked about <laughs> politics. Right. We've no. talked about common sense, right, right. what makes sense, and what we know will work. Because if you ask me to talk about politics, what I'm going to tell you is Republican Party is bad, Democrat Party is worse. I, and you'll have us agreeing and then the conversation's yeah. over. That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> we got to figure out how to get beyond that. Yeah. Um, you know, as you're talking about the school up in Huntsville, the, the schools that your brother was involved in, mm-hmm. uh, it's the ultimate underdog story, if you ask me. Most definitely. And I could see it on the as a screenplay. Well, can, can, and I want to introduce you to a screenplay writer right, right there. We need to talk. We need to talk. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, no pressure, let Don. Me give, let me wet your appetite a little bit. Let me tell you two things that happened here, two stories. Can you imagine going to the uh, first robotic regional competition with your team? You got school from, from, from Birmingham that attended. Uh, they come in rolling in their chest, two chests that you get from Harbor Freight about six, 10 feet high. Mm-hmm. Oh my They're gosh. They're rolling that in, got the press down drill. Uh-huh. We're coming in with a toolbox and hand drills. Because you, you got re, to repair your robot the one time you have breaks. And so here's another story. So I'm at the school with my brother. We're walking around the school uh, getting ready for the afternoon because uh, his, his robotics program was an after-school program. So we're walking around the school getting ready for the pro, uh, that afternoon. So the resource officer is walking this young black uh, boy, this is in middle school, to the principal's office because this young boy was back in the back, got caught in the back of the classroom shooting dice. And so my brother, being the character he is, and walks through, walking down the hallway and said to the uh, resource officer, what's what's going on? He said, Dr. Smith, this young man was in the back of the classroom shooting dice. He said, really? My brother said to him, well, well tell me, what's the, what's the possibility of rolling a seven? The young boy said, 50%? My brother said, no, you, you didn't get caught because you're playing dice. You got caught because you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> he said, it's not 50%? He said, no, it's not 50%. So that young man got involved in the, in the robotics program that day because he thought it was 50%. 
So that's kind of it's kind of interesting. That's great because he met him right where he's at, where that's, he that's was at. You got to meet where he, they are. Yeah. He um he addressed a real time issue yeah. and challenged him to go it, beyond. It was it. it was real life for him. It was practical for him, and he just finished experiencing that. Yeah, and, that's great. Uh, that's yeah, great. He, he thought he knew it all, but no, I wish it was seven, rolling seven fifty seven time. Kay Carl Smith, if somebody wants to find out more about what you're doing, if they want you to come speak, if they would like to contribute to the endowment for that special school you're trying to build, how can they find out more? Let me give them my, uh, to the, the website is in development here uh, for the school. The way you can reach me is through my website, and that is, and I'm going to give you my office number too. Uh, my website is kcarl, it's K-C-A-R-L, Inc., Dot com. So kcarlinc.com and my office number 205-312-9985. Erico 205-312-9985. And uh, before, the, before we go, I want to say, hey, I appreciate the opportunity to be on this, this podcast with you. Oh, we are absolutely thrilled that you were able to come in. And yeah, you see, we had a lot of trouble believing what you're saying, of course. But <laughs> yeah, you know, you're I preaching enjoy. to the choir, that's right? right that's right. That's right. You know, it's kind of funny. People always say, "Well, okay, Carl, you always go out and you preach to the choir." I say, "Well, you got to understand, it's very important to preach to the choir because the, the choir got to be empowered and given the confidence to go bring in new choir members. That's more diverse, and the choir need a, need a new song to sing. You know, the hymns are okay, but you got to put some." Kirk Franklin and Frederick Douglass in there a little bit. Kind yep. of you got to have, have some bullet points they can That's pull right. out, too, exactly next time right. they're at that football game or with That's a bunch right. of guys and That's right. want to convince That's how somebody. we're going to say this, Nate. It's it's, it's, we got to make sure that our elections are uh, have integrity. But the next thing is we got to learn how to become better messengers of liberty by having conversations, again, not confrontations with our family members and friends and even people who may not look like you. Yep. Imagine if, like you said, started out talking about voting with integrity, voting yeah. your values. Imagine if everybody wow. really grasped that. We wouldn't be in this it. problem. No. We wouldn't be in this problem. We would not. I also want to say this one thing for everybody is Kate Carl also contributes a lot of, every week, right, editorials. Yes. Uh, an editorial column to 1819news.com. So be sure and go check that out. And there's also information at the bottom. And if you agree with those, share them. Let, let other people have the benefit of this man's thinking. That is correct. Spread the news. Spread the message. It's all. Same thing about this little podcast, by the way. Uh, this Alabama Life, looking at the positive things that folks are doing who are associated with the state of Alabama. We certainly had one today. Kate Carl Smith, thank you so much for spending My time pleasure. with us. My pleasure. We thank hope you. you will subscribe. We hope you'll give us a thumbs up or five stars or whatever it takes to, to show folks that you appreciate what we're doing with this podcast. Just let folks know about us. Share it with, uh, with other people around and uh, take a look at some of the other things that we have going here. Some of the other folks that we've talked to. Uh, some very interesting stories out there. We're going to bring you plenty more, too. And go to the 1819news.com website. Uh, click on the podcast tab there, and you'll also see some of the other podcasts that we offer folks. Thanks for joining us. This Alabama Life, I'm Don Keith, along with Andrea Tice, and we'll see you next time.